good evening and welcome to another episode of the Sporting Hour. I'm joined as I am every week by Kieran Bayden. We've got a packed show to look forward to this week as we are dominated by the big news that Shop has got the chop. Marcus Shop leaves Barnsley um, after a pretty torrid time at Oakwell for uh, for the Austrian. He leaves uh, Barnsley now with them searching for their new manager and searching to get their season started. We'll take a look back at Marcus Shop's time at Barnsley, where it went wrong for him, where we feel Barnsley may go now, look at some of the candidates for the job um, and how they can improve going forward. We'll also take a look back at some of the other results uh, from the weekend and the midweek. Lots of local football action involving all our local teams. In the second part of the show, we'll look at some more managerial changes as Unai Emery turns down Newcastle and opts to stay at Villarreal and Nuno is replaced by Antonio Conte at Tottenham. And coming up in the final part of the show, we'll be taking a look back at the Cricket World Cup. England continue their dominating form and their 100% record of wins over Australia and Sri Lanka. Obviously, there's the, the Josh Butler not to talk about in there. You know, he got, he got his 100 against Sri Lanka, so we'll be getting into all things Cricket World Cup in the final part of the show. Yeah, Josh Butler being in scintillating form for England in the last two games of the T20 World Cup as they continue their march towards the semi-finals. So we'll look back on that in the final part of the show. But there's only one place to start and that is at Oakwood and that is Marcus Shop, who leaves the club, um, maybe not to the surprise of many, after a pretty torrid time at Barnsley. Uh, he leaves the club in 23rd. They're only saved uh, from the bottom spot by the Derby points deduction. Uh Eight points from 15 games. He only gets 15 games, obviously, in his term, replacing Valerian Ishmael. And I suppose you look back on it and think that we kind of said that with the, the impact that Ishmael had at, at Barnsley and, and the job that he did, it was always going to be hard for somebody to come in and, and replace him and try and continue that form. We spoke as well about how difficult it is to keep finding these European gems of managers coming in. We said that you're, you're going to find a bad one at some point. And unfortunately for Marcus Schropp, it, it's just never, never worked at Barnsley, has it? No, it hasn't. I think, you know, when you look back to last season when Ishmael came in, we probably said at the time then, um, it, it was a gamble to get a pretty unknown manager. And obviously that, that gamble paid off in a, in a big way and they ended up getting the playoffs, obviously. Ishmael goes to, to West Brom and Marcus Schott comes in. And, and again, we said at the time, it's a gamble. We, we said it's obviously worked with Ishmael and Stendhal. Um, and it, there's also cases of it not working. And, and this one just hasn't worked whatsoever, obviously. No win in, what, 10 or 11, is it? Um, I saw them the other week and for, for 70 minutes they, they were very, very ordinary. Um, by all accounts, not too bad at the weekend. Um, I, I, I turned praise or grumble on after after the match at the weekend and it was on the report for the match and said Barnsley maybe could have had you know, even more than a point and maybe took all three. But obviously, you know, it's a, it's a results-based business and like I said, they're the only thing saving them from rock bottom is is the Derby deduction. So it, it comes to no surprise at all that, um, you know, Marcus Shop, Marcus Shop has um, paid with his job. Yeah, it's no winning thirteen for Shop. The the only win in his time at Barnsley coming in the uh, the first home game of the season, the second game of the season itself against Coventry, a one 0 win there. High flying Coventry now as well, doing really well at the minute despite their defeat to, to Swansea last night. Um, you look back and I think it's uh, there's quite a few defeats in a row: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven defeats in a row as well for Marcus Shop and. I heard the same that you know they were pretty good in spells at, at Bristol City. I think it was similar to the to the, the the Reading game. They were pretty good in spells against Reading and couldn't find a way through. They found a way through against Bristol City, but a crazy five minutes before half time where Vyman gets two and they're out of the game. And 
They end up losing the game 2-1. Bristol City have not won at home in ages either. They've got a terrible home form and that was that really was you know, the final nail for, for Marcus Schopp. And it, it was always going to be difficult, wasn't it, to, to replace Ishmael? But I think the thing the thing for me that, that struck home was you've got players like Callum Britton, I think it was, came out and criticised things like training and stuff on, on, on the radio. And then they've got the playing the likes of Clark Adore, who's a left-back by trade, playing in the front three. It just appeared to me that Shop kind of ran out of ideas and was he was trying anything that he could to, to try and to try and get something working. Yeah, it certainly looked that way from the from the outside looking in. Obviously, I've only seen Barnsley, you know, actually for ninety minutes once this season. Like I said, they were they were pretty ordinary. Um, you know, I think maybe a few, a few key players have been missing in his time, which obviously doesn't help. But you know, like like I say, it's, it's a results based business, and they, you know the Barnsley fans. They, they, they've got what they wanted in the end and like I said when players start coming out and, and giving you a bit of stick or maybe leaking certain things I mean it doesn't look great and yeah it's 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 one of those that it's, it's if you're going to go down the market of um, a, a European manager like we just said it's a gamble and this one is a gamble that's not paid off and you know it'll be, it'll be intriguing to see where Barnsley do go from here whether they go down the, the European route again because if they take another gamble and, and go European again you know, it could cost them the championship status because by the time, you know, if, say, for example, they did get someone and you're looking at this in six months' time, they could already be down. So the next appointment is absolutely vital for Barnsley. Yeah, the, the, do you think they've maybe looked at it and thought at the minute they are, uh, the four points adrift at the minute, albeit with a game in hand on Peterborough, seven points behind Peterborough, the game in hand on them. I think they've looked at it and thought we need to make a decision now before that gap starts to open. I mean, as a Rotherham fan that's been down there in the Championship, you don't want that gap to start opening where you need to start chasing results because especially over the Christmas period where games come thick and fast, if you're getting a bad run over Christmas and teams above you pick up points, you can find that gap getting even bigger very quickly. Yeah, and I think they've had to and maybe, maybe some Barnsley fans might say it's one or two weeks late, maybe maybe that last ten minutes again. Sheffield United did did save his job for that week, and it's obviously just prolonged the the, the you know the what's the word I'm looking for. You know, it was it was always going to happen, wasn't it? You know, I think we've gone past that point. Uh, like I said, now Barnsley are still very much in the season, despite the fact that they are down there. They're, they're still very much you know more than got a chance at survival with the amount of games that are left. So I think you know they have, although he's not had loads of time, which you could maybe say, but. In his time, he's not done enough. So, you know, he, he has to pay with his job. And Barnsley needs to do what's best for Barnsley Football Club. And, and that is getting rid of Marcus Shop and, and giving it to, to a new manager who can come in and, and you know, first of all, just try and get him out of this relegation relegation zone. Then I think that's first and foremost priority. Joseph Lauman takes over. He was a coach at the club under Ishmael, I believe, and under um, under Marcus Shop. He takes over in caretaker charge. Um, he's a 38 year old Moroccan, former striker. Um, played in in Germany for Schalke and other countries. He's, he's been assistant manager in Germany and obviously over here um, with Ishmael and Shop. Um, do you think he'll be maybe being a European? Do you think he'll be thinking if he can get the players together and get a run going, he could be, if not a short term fix, he could end up being being the next Barnsley manager. Maybe so. Maybe that's what the Barnsley board would be hoping for. But obviously, you know, just looking at the odds, is the second favourite behind Michael Flynn, who's odds on. He's also odds on for the Cardiff job, Michael Flynn. Um, so the bookies must think Michael Flynn's got a job lined up somewhere. Um, yeah, obviously, don't know too much about Lauman. It'd be another gamble. Um, you know, it's, it's always a dodgy one with caretakers. You know, they, they could come in and have that new manager bounce for four or five games. You give them the job, and they turn out not to be the right man. So 
I think Barnsley have got to, by all account, obviously the, the international break will be coming up after this weekend. So it'll give them you know, a few more weeks to make sure that they identify the right candidate and, and they get the right man in. I know Chris Wilder was mentioned earlier on in the week by the Sun. Don't see that happening whatsoever. Um, I, I'd be I'd be astonished if Wilder went to Barnsley just because I think he can do better. Um, again, that's nothing against Barnsley, but I just think he, he could get a club in a better position um, higher up the championship. So, yeah, if, if Lauman can come in and, and do a good job, I'm sure the Barnsley board, Barnsley board won't hesitate to, to give him the job, but I think they, they just really need to make sure they get this one right. I think you went a little bit Barnsley there on your pronunciation of board. Um, I know, yeah. um, you look at Michael Flynn and he's, he, did, he did well at Newport, Michael Flynn, and got them into the playoffs and so on and decided to step aside there and he'll be looking to try and further his career, won't he? Like say, in for the job at Cardiff, by the looks he's in for the job at Barnsley. Chris Wilder also on the list at 10 to 1. Wilder would be a dream appointment for the Barnsley fans, surely. A real passionate manager that would really link and really connect with the fans, I think, at the club and would, and would get them out of the mess they're in. Alex Neal is one that uh, I listened to Praise a Grumble last night and a lot of Barnsley fans have welcomed the, the appointment of Alex Neal. Um, many say that Alex Neal may have been in the uh, thoughts of Middlesbrough as well if Warnock ends up leaving um, up at Middlesbrough. I think Alex Neal would do well to get a job at Middlesbrough after you know, his time at Preston. Uh, I, I don't think he'd be too bad a choice. Lewis Balamorte randomly in there. Um, as well, Hans Wolf, who was linked to the job um, before uh, Marcus Schott got the job. Mick McCarthy, a, a Barnsley, a Barnsley man that you know, I think they could do worse than bringing Mick McCarthy in on a short-term deal to maybe do what Cardiff did last year and try and stabilise the club a little bit and get them out of the mess that they're in. And then you've got Christian Iser, uh, Martin Devaney, current academy coach Neil Harris, uh, Alex Blesson, Paul Warren in there at twenty to one as well. I've seen a few articles linking Paul Warren to to jobs at Cardiff and at Barnsley. Um, my message to them is stay well away from Paul Warren. Thank you very much. Uh, the Millers have just started uh, flying. So hopefully Paul Warren remains where he is. But I think out of the list that you meant that, that they mentioned and the odds that are there, I think Michael Flynn would be a big gamble for me to give him the job. Because if that goes wrong, a manager that's got no championship experience, if that goes wrong, Barnsley could find themselves down in League One. Alex Neal may be a bit of a safer pair of hands, but didn't do an outstanding job at, uh, at Preston. I look at it, and Neil Harris, I think Neil Harris has done a good job in the Championship before. I just don't know if the, if the Londoner up in Northern Barnsley, not stereotyping Barnsley or anything, but just him moving up here, if that had worked either. We saw it at Rotherham with Kenny Jacket moving up from, from London, didn't work and wasn't up for the fight. So I don't think it's a very inspiring list. I don't know, I don't know what you think yourself. Other than Chris Wilder, I don't think it's a very inspiring list. No, like I say, I think Chris Wilder, like we said, they're never ever going to take the job. Um, in my opinion, yeah, stand to be proved wrong. Um, for me, the other, I think Michael Flynn actually would be a decent appointment. I think he done, he did fantastically well at Newport. Yes, a gamble. Um, but I actually tweeted when he went from Newport, I could see him at Cardiff or or Cholton. I said at the time. Um, then I think the other two names on the list that I think would be a decent appointment. I think Alex Neil would be a good appointment. I think he did a very good job at Norwich. Um, in his time there, he did an okay job at Preston. They were always in and around the playoffs, and you know they maybe got sacked. And and look what they've done since. Um, you know they they've gone right down the table under under Frankie McAvoy. Um, Mick McCarthy again would be the other one for me. Like I said, Barnes, bit of a Barnes legend. Um, I believe he's a Barnes legend anyway. I hope I'm not making that up. Um, you know he, he's got he plays the type of football where you think he is the type of manager that go in there and, and not get relegated. 
know, um, did well with Ipswich for all them years. Look what happened to them after he got sacked. He was doing reasonably well with Republic of Ireland. He's done it for years, Mick McCarthy. And I think you like you say, on a deal till the end of the year, they could do a lot worse. Um, so I have the list. If I had to narrow it down, I think Flynn would be a, a gamble, yes, but a good appointment. I think Alex Neil and, and Mick McCarthy should be um, considered as well. Another one as well that somebody mentioned on Prize or Grumble last night as well is Gareth Ainsworth, who's 22 to 1. And I tell you what, if Gareth Ainsworth ends up getting the job, good luck, Barnsley fans, because that will be a tough watch after what I saw at the New York Stadium the other week. However, getting results, um, getting results apart from obviously the, the hiding that they got last night against the, the flying Ipswich at the minute, but um, a bit of a unique style of play under Gareth Ainsworth. Um, but it'll be an interesting time now, Barnsley. It's a big time, isn't it, for the club, you know, after being on the periphery of the Premier League last year and so close under Ishmael um, to now being on, you know, the sliding towards League One and they need to stop that slide, don't they, and start climbing back up the table. So a big couple of weeks for them to uh, to bring in an appointment at Oakland. I'm sure Barnsley fans will be uh, eagerly uh, watching Twitter and so on to see the various reports uh, of who is going to go in at Oakwell. We'll stay in the Championship and we'll go over to, to your beloved Sheffield United, Kieran, and a really frustrating week for the Blades, and this seems to be a real common theme as well at the minute on the show. And um, I think you look at the Blades and you think that they get a win like they got against Barnsley, they get a win like they got against Stoke, uh, and you think, yeah, it's a it's a foot forward. They win at Hull as well. You think, yeah, one foot one step forward, and every time after it just seems to be two steps back straight away. And um, the Blades played Blackpool at the weekend. We spoke last week about how the Blades will be looking to beat a, a team like Blackpool, no disrespect to them. However, the threat came with Blackpool as they were on a great run, uh, and they still are on a great run after going to Bramall Lane and winning 1-0. Um, Keshi Anderson's goal, um, capitalising on a, on a long ball that um, the Blades players seem to step out and be, be rather high and get caught out by the long ball. Anderson then with a smart finish, um, you know, you can't take that away from him. The questions asked on, on the defending of why they were so high. I know you kind of be drafting it highlighted. He didn't understand why the defenders were quite so high. Um, and just a really frustrating afternoon at Bramall Lane, I'm sure, which began a bit of a frustrating week, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I mean, the game on Saturday, it's, you know, if you if you go in there as a as a journalist or an aspiring, aspiring journalist or a radio commentator and you need to write a match report, you can almost write the match report before the, the game even starts. You know, Sheffield and will dominate the ball, do nothing with it, bore the life out of the fans, go side to side, look for, you know, try and work out the gaps and, and play the ball and draw the opposition out. But when the opposition don't get drawn out, you know, a team comes and and biz daft like Peterborough, we pick them apart, easy peasy, you know, Peterborough, a, a rubbish side, let's, let's say it as it is. But then you come up against the side like Huddersfield and Blackpool that'll sit in That'll make it hard for you, and we've just got no idea. Um, you know, that's uh, that's everyone to blame, by the way. Um, it's boring me now seeing people still blame Chris Wilder on Twitter because he signed these players and blah blah blah. Well, he signed McBurney, the people say McBurney and Brewster, but last time they were in the championship, they got 20 goals and 14 goals. So it's down to this manager now to get the best out of them, and he's not. Um, the game itself, like, there's honestly not much I can say about the game on Saturday, it was just. Boring. Just that, that, I think Rob Staten said that. You know, I was listening to Rob Staten, um, and even put that to you, kind of. It. She says at times you played really good stuff, which which we did at times, um, but then over time we just bored the life out of me. The the fans. It started off a decent decent atmosphere. Obviously, the, the minute silence with the um, with being our closest game to remember Sunday. The roar, the, the away fans. They were in good voice, and then 
15 minutes in, the energy just zaps out of the game because of our style of play. It's just, it's so dull. Too many players off the boil. Like you said, the goal will get done with. It's not, I'll, I'll, I'll have a go at Slav in a minute. You can't have a go at Slav for that because for some reason, the keeper's got the ball. He's looking to bang it down the pitch and we're squeezing up. Just, just you know, if the centre-half's dropped four yards. It's an easy header and, and we regroup and go again. It's baffling at times. And like I said, we can write the match report. We'll have loads of the ball dominate and, and, and get done after the 75 minute, 75th minute, it seems. It's it's a really, really frustrating time at the minute. And again, my gripe with Jukanovic, he plays his style of play and, and, and all this, but we've not got the players to play that. So again, I go back to, was he backed right in the summer? No, he wasn't. But then it's down to him to try and get the best out of this squad because I'll ask you now, is this squad, we were, I think we're 15th now, 17th, are we the 17th best team in the Championship? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's not, is it, the, in terms of the squad? The squad, they're good players, aren't they? We should be higher. We should yeah. be higher. That's the thing that, that I don't get with some managers and I don't get like with... A bit, if you take back to like when Louis van Gaal was in charge of Man United, he used to like believe in his philosophy and stuff. And I think... It's all well and good having a philosophy and a style of how you want to play. But if you haven't got the players to play in that style of play, what's the point in playing it? And if you're a if you're a good manager, you should be able to adapt to the players that you've got and form a style of play that suits the, the players that you've got, surely. And I understand they'll want to play this style of play that he had, the, the four, two, three, one, the probing, the the patient football, you know, really nice on the eye in spells. But like you say, when a team comes and sits with a low block and says, we ain't coming out, and if you're going to pass it in front of us all day, we'll sit here and we'll take a nil-nil draw, no problem, then you've got to start to change it up a little bit for me. You've got to maybe go a little bit more direct, get a few more balls in the box. Maybe start to um, try and draw them out and by just probing, by probing and playing along the midfield. And I've not seen the games, but I, I, I can almost picture what you're saying. It'll be going into Norwoods and out to the fullback and back inside and back across and maybe into the strikers and back because they can't get through. But you've got to go and force your way through sometimes and batter, batter your way through and not being direct and being a long ball team, but just be a bit more forceful and, and try and force ways through because teams like Blackpool will just come and sit there and say, give us a chance and we'll try and take it. And then if they do take it, it's even worse because they'll sit even deeper and deeper and deeper and say, come and break us down. And I just think you've got to be adaptable sometimes and and there's too much of, you know, I keep hearing it, this style of play that Yukanovic wants to play and the style of play. And that's all well and good if you've got the players to do it, like he had at Fulham and like he's at other clubs, but he, can't, he knew what he was coming into with the squad that he had. Fair enough, he hasn't been backed, but then that's where you adapt it and say, right, maybe we'd like to do this and this, but maybe can we adapt it this way? Can we maybe get another striker up the top of the pitch and go a bit more longer, into, more direct into a McBurney or even direct into Sharp and get a Moussa off him or can we hit wide areas and get balls into the box quicker, get quicker balls into the box rather than probing and being patient. And when you're probing and patient, it just gives teams time to get set back in, doesn't it, in behind the ball. And they'll head and kick everything away and you'll get teams like Blackpool coming and getting results. And then on the flip side, You'll get teams like Peterborough that will come and, and other teams like, I'm sure some of the top teams will come to Bramall Lane. You'll end up beating them like a Stoke and so on because they'll not come and sit in a low block. They'll come and think, Do you know what, we're going to go there and play football and play our way. And that then kind of comes into the hands of, of Sheffield a little bit, doesn't it? Because you can then go and probe and play through and there'll be more spaces and you can go and break lines and whatnot and there'll be more space to play in behind for, for the likes of, you know, the, the better players that you have on the pitch. 
But when you play against the harder teams, you're going to have to adapt the style a little bit, aren't you? Yeah, we are. And, and by saying this, I'm in no way saying I want to go back to a back five because I don't. Um, I've seen fans on Twitter crying out for a back five and I just think that's gone now and, and you know, we, we were rubbish for a year. Yes, we had all those great years. They're gone now, but for, for the last season in the Premier League, we continued with the back five and we're awful. We played a back five against um, West Bromwich Albion and we're bullied, just bullied to death. And, you know, that's with Basham in the team, like some people are calling for. And, you know, Basham played really, really well last night. So I'm, by a change of style and a change of shape, I'm not wanting to revert back to old ways because I think that that's at its day now. You know, teams figured us out as, as it was shown and obviously a different kettle of fish in the Premier League. But when we've played it this year, it's something's not quite right. So, like I say, it's down to Jokanovic to, to, to adapt a, a style. If we've not got wingers, you know, play 4 3 3 with you know, narrow forwards or, or something. I'm just trying to pick things out of thin air or go 4 3 1 2 and, and you know, play and die behind or gives white behind a, 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 a Moose and Brewster or McBurney and Brewster. Anyway, we've got options. And, uh, and I'm not labelling it all on the manager because the players aren't performing either. Um, obviously, we'll move on to, to last night in a, in a second, but, you know, Ender Stevens nowhere near good. John Fleck, I, I absolutely love John Fleck, but it, it's just way off it at the minute. Um, I think the only two you can you can really praise week in, week out is, is Morgan Gibbs-White and, and, and the young lad and Dye, and Dye looks absolutely class, and, and I'll be amazed if he's... If a, a bid doesn't come in for him in, in January or, or or towards the next summer, sorry. Um, so they're the only two for me. And you look at the others, we talk about consistency. I think we've got a, a problem of consistency from game to game. Uh, we've got a problem of consistency in game as well, because we, we're, we're never consistent for 90 minutes or, or eight, even 85 minutes of the game. We've got a real, real problem of consistency. And then, and then moving on to last night, although we picked a point up and... It looked at one point we were going to going to nick three points. It, it would have been a, it would have been a steal. Having a point was a fair result. It was two very very average teams. Again, you I picked two players out. Gives White to be fair to him was was decent. Obviously got the goal. Um, Norwood, give him his dues. He, he was good. And Chris Basham who came in for Ben Davis, he was also good. But again, we we get the goal. We panic. Absolute panic stations. I, I texted my mate at the time and said we'll panic. We did. The defending for their goals horrific. Again, I'm, I'm not. Sure. I've got. I've not seen it back, so I've not been in the mood to watch football. But Olsen doesn't bring me, um, doesn't fill me with with amazing confidence either. Uh, and it's one one, and we concede after the 75th minute again. And, and again, players around. You know, Yukanovich comes out after the game last night and says Bruce is not a winger. Well, why are you playing him out wide then? It brings Undai on, puts Undai up front and keeps Brewster out wide. It's just little stuff like that that's, that's really starting to bug me at the minute. And, and like I said to you earlier, it's. I can remember I can remember joking about it when Yukanovich got appointed and I was buzzing that he got appointed. Um it could give me six months and I'll and I'll be chanting him out. I'm I'm not at that stage yet, but if if I woke up to the news tomorrow that Yukanovich was gone, would I be devastated? Not really. Um well like we've had the conversation, is is it the right fit, you know, the right manager with the right players? It might not be. And I think if we if we do get beat at Blackburn at the weekend, I don't think we'll sack him at all. I don't think we will. But I'm sort of 50-50 at the minute of uh, give him time or is it just giving him time for the sake of it? If we go there and, and perform how we have done and get beat by Blackburn on Saturday, I think a few I think a few fans will start to ask questions. Um, I think Bramall Lane on Saturday at full time, there were booze ringing around the lane as well for the first time in, in a long, long time. So 
think Saturday is is vital um, to pick something up before the international break, and we've just got to get something going. Some because this is a poor division. Um, let's say as it is. I mean, I'm not sure the teams in the playoffs at the minute. Obviously, the top two are in a and they're all different kettle of fish. Um, but then you've got the teams around the playoffs, like I know for a fact Luton are in there. Um, you've got Coventry, Huddersfield, Luton, Blackpool, Millwall, uh, Blackburn, all sort of around it, and they're they're all poor teams. You know, squad. Our squad should be better than theirs, and I don't. Even though players aren't performing, that's down to the manager as well and the players themselves. They've got to take the blame. We should be above them teams there, and I don't want to sound like one of them fans that's saying they've got a divine right to be there because we haven't. But our squad should be performing better than they are, and the fact is we're just not at the minute, and we've got to. Something's got to change, whether that's the manager changing style or shape or or how we're going to play, or like we've seen at Barnsley. Unfortunately, if it doesn't, the manager will it will cost him his job. Yeah, frustrating times at Bramall Lane at the minute. I'm sure the Blades fans are hoping that you kind of can sort the uh, sort the worries out and the problems at Bramall Lane at the minute and uh, try and get the Blades back going with a win before the international break and then a bit of time to to regroup over that break and come back um, strongly after that one. We'll move across now into League One and we'll move across to the uh, to maybe the uh, the informed team of our local teams at the minute. And I'll try and say it without. Um, sounding too happy about it, but the informed team is the Millers at the minute. And we spoke about how it was a really tough October for the Millers with some really difficult games in there. And to go and beat Sunderland 5-1 at the weekend is just another statement and um, a fantastic performance. One of the best performances I've seen in a long time at the New York Stadium uh, in a game that started end-to-end and um, started with both teams showing attacking intent and, and, and it looked like it was going to be a really good game. And then... Michael Smith, the Newcastle fan, boy, a Newcastle fan, enjoyed his two goals and Ladapo scores two also uh, and Michael Heckler getting the score sheet uh, once again. The Ross Stewart goal shouldn't have stood. It should. It was a, there was a foul on Ogbené and a foul on Rathbone at the other end of the pitch. wasn't given um, as, as Ross Stewart went away and scored and Aidan McGeady puts in a really clumsy 10 minutes where he gets booked after half-time and then a, a horrible tackle on Ogbené that was probably worthy of the red card itself. Um, to get sent off, but Sunderland were well out of the game by the red card, and and, and the Millers were fantastic, and and put a real statement out by by beating a Sunderland team that people fancy this year, and you know Lee Johnson in charge come out and said you know that they were beaten by a far better side, and uh, it looked like men against boys, and and so on, and and I think the Rotherham team at the minute is really clicking and really gelling, and I suppose the good form of the Millers kind of shone through as well, where we go to Charlton last night, I battled down to Charlton and through the traffic last night to go and watch the Millers and we take the lead and, and end up conceding with, with eight minutes to go a, a long ball forward and Edmonds Green maybe shouldn't let it bounce and then he's fouled by Connor Washington in the eyes of many other than the referee who was absolutely dreadful on the night and a deflected shot from Washington goes in off Richard Wood and the Millers are maybe a little unfortunate to concede but probably would have been fortunate to win the game in a game where you know Charlton really threw everything at us at the end and, and, and we looked a little leggy maybe towards going towards now the FA Cup and the international break and it's just been a fantastic month and I think just to top the month off of um, going to Charlton and maybe not being at our best and still picking up a point shows that the Millers are a pretty good team doesn't it? Yeah definitely so I mean firstly just with the weekend I think that was a result of the, the weekend by any team um, you know, the top of the table clash, and they were, I know, but before the game, you were saying, you know, two, two of the top scoring teams in the division, and you know, they're right up there in the football league as well. Um, and, and to just obliterate them like you did, I mean, obviously, I was at the, the lane, and you, you look at the scores at half time, and 
and then you jump in the car at full time and listen to the radio and it says Rotherham 5, Sunderland 1. I couldn't quite believe it, to be honest with you, seeing the goal on, goals on Quest. All, you know, all decent goals. <clears throat> like I said, I think the McGeady tackles are a straight red anyway. Um, he'll be, he was very lucky that he was probably already in a yellow card because that's a, that's a horror tackle. Um, but no, fantastic, fantastic win. Um, and we've talked about a statement victory before in the past with, with Rotherham and I think that was the biggest statement out of the lot. I think Plymouth beating Ipswich on the same day as well. You know, Plymouth and Rotherham right up there at the minute and you know, obviously other teams are up there as well but I think Plymouth and Rotherham are the two banging form teams at the minute. I know Wigan uh, come from behind in it last night to go top of the league but I think, you know, you, you're going to have to look, you don't have to look, if, well, if you finish above Rotherham, I think you're going to get promoted. I think that's, I think that's a, quite a, an easy thing to say. You know, you don't have to be a, a genius to figure that one out. Um, and then coming to last night, I thought, I, I probably fancied you for a win, but obviously you can't win them all. You go, you go to Charlton. Um, I know they're not in the best of form, but under Johnny Jackson had two wins uh, out of two and, and they're in a bit of a false position. Um, down in 18th at the minute and, and to go there and get a point you know there'll be worse points this season you pick up I thought that's a, an excellent point given the fact that you beat Sunderland as well it's, it's an excellent point um, you know way on a Tuesday night at Charlton it's got all the ingredients to, to you know go go a bit wrong and a bit tough and you know Johnny Jackson with the new manager bounce but to go there and get a point I thought it's it, not I don't want to say a better result than Saturday because it's not but it shows that you have got that. And I saw Paul Warren said you weren't like sparkling best and, and you still picked a point up. So again, it's showing signs of what, you know, all good, good championship. Uh, by championship, I mean all good, you know, league winning teams have. And and Rotherham are showing that at the minute. Yeah, I thought Charlton were very good last night, actually, in the second half. They threw absolutely everything at us. And it, Ladapo has a header, a great ball by Balash and a good header from Ladapo, to be fair. Could Should probably score, but it's a good header. And McGilvery makes a great reaction save. And if that goes in one nil at the time for two nil, we're, we're talking now about the Millers being, um, you know, another another win on the road. But um, I thought they were they were they were good value for the point, Charlton. And then I wasn't disappointed walking out of the valley last night, and I thought they were good value for it. And um, and they'll do quite well under Johnny Jackson. Speaking to some Charlton fans on the way out, they want Johnny Jackson to get the job. You know, they love him. He's a bit of a, a hero there, isn't he? So. They're hoping he gets the job there, but fantastic month for the Millers. They're now 10 unbeaten. Bromley in the cup at the weekend. The Millers are 10 unbeaten. Bromley are nine unbeaten. So, uh, albeit in a, a few divisions apart, but could be a little tasty cup affair at the New York Stadium this weekend. Moving across now to a mixed week for the Owls. And uh, it's a mixed week in terms of the fact that they um, they drew two apiece at the weekend with Cheltenham. A, a pretty disappointing result with um, the Owls. Going in front, um, you know, they went 2-1 up on the 82nd minute through a, through a Matty Blair on goal, who I believe is a Sheffield Wednesday fan as well, Matty Blair. But he uh, he made up for the error and scored in the 91st minute to get uh, Cheltenham a point. Kyle Vassell, the former Miller, scoring in that game as well for Cheltenham. And he maybe thought, you know, four draws in a row, bit of pressure mounting on Darren Moore, uh, in role Sunderland, who were probably in a bit of terrible form off the back of that hammering by the Millers. <laughs> and the big thing that happens is, more probably listen to the fans finally. Corbin now, the, the, the player that they've all been chanting for to play, he plays from the start and he, he has a big effect. Scores the first, sets up the second, and Gregory scores a third on, on, on a good night for Wednesday and a pretty big night for Darren Moore to get that win at home. A bit of a statement win against, albeit a Sunderland team not in the best of form, but a Sunderland team that's, that's still up there. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, if... 
you know, if you talk, if we're sat here talking about a Sheffield Wednesday nil Sunderland three, I think we could be talking about another sacking. Um, but it's a it's a great great result for Wednesday, and it's a it could be one of those results you'll look at in three months' time and go that that was the turning point. You know, all, all teams have it in the season. The Millers have had it this season. We've had it in the past under Wilder. Um, we beat Gillingham away from home, and that just set us on a good run after being poor. Um, and Wednesday fans will be hoping that this does the same. You know, we're talking about being poor and. Should Darren Moore go? And you look at it, and they're only two points off the playoffs and what five, eight points off second. So although they've been poor, they're still bang in there Wednesday. You know, to them, to be to be fair to them, I think the point of the week. I think if you said to Wednesday fans before Saturday, you can have four points out of the next two, and they took it. They might have took it the other way around with beating Cheltenham and, and getting a point, albeit at home, Sunderland. But I think they took that. So uh, all in all, it's not a, it's not a bad week for Wednesday. Um, are they involved in? They'll be involved in cup yeah, action this weekend, won't Plymouth they? Plymouth on ITV at the weekend on Sunday, I believe it is on the on ITV. Oh, so got Plymouth, it's a difficult game. Maybe, maybe a bit, both teams may change a few things. Maybe both teams will go full strength. To be fair, with it being international, um, uh, week after. Um, but no, it's a it's a good result for Wednesday. Like I said, I think it just takes the pressure off Darren Moore a little bit because like he was again coming home from. Um, delaying on Saturday, listening to praise or grumble, and Wednesday fans ringing up. You know, I think there was a few, a few, you know, wanting his wanting the club statement come out with a little corner flag in, and there was a picture and, and Darren Moore to be gone. But I think that result last night shows that maybe, again, albeit against a team, you know, Sunderland have been have been in round our parts for the last week and and took two absolute hammerings. It's still a good Sunderland team, and it's still going to be a Sunderland team that's up there at the at the end of the year. Like I said, all the Wednesday fans will be hoping that this is a, a turning point in their season and Darren Moore's, you know, like I say, that he's given the lad his chance and this could be a turning point for Wednesday and Darren Moore that they can kick on. And maybe the international break comes at a bit of a wrong time for him, but hopefully they'll be able to, for them anyway, hopefully for them they'll be able to um, kick on and, and get back to it after the international break. Uh, yeah, I think Lee Johnson will uh, will not want to return to uh, to South Yorkshire anytime soon after a pretty miserable couple of days for Sunderland, like you say there. And um, we'll move across finally to, to Doncaster Rovers. I spoke about the Blades being one step forward and two back. It seems to be a different tone each show with, with Doncaster Rovers. I think the last time we came on, they beat Cheltenham and then they went on to get a draw um, against uh, Cambridge at home. And you kind of think, yeah, pick up a bit of form. And then they go down to Charlton which, as, as, as I found out last night, is a difficult place to go with Johnny Jackson there and the fans right behind him. They take a bit of a hiding, losing 4-0. And then in a bit of a, an early season, six-pointer down at Crewe, uh, away at Crewe, you know, bottom versus second bottom, uh, they take a point um, in that one. And any point on the road's a good one, I suppose, but following the defeat to Charlton at the weekend, they could have done with going to Crewe and winning, couldn't they? Yeah, they could have. Um yeah, the crew have had a bit of a nightmare start to the season themselves. So Donny would have they would have fancied that one. Look at it now, we are three points off. Um the 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 last, you know, safe space and then twentieth in Morecambe. Fleetwood could could extend that if because they've got a game in hand. I, I still worry for, for Donny, I really do, because like you say, it seems to be one step forward and not even two steps back. it's three or four steps back and you know I Questioned the squad quality plenty of time on the show, and and I, and I still got that. I still don't know who's gonna, you know. Obviously, when you're down there, you've not got a twenty goal a season striker, but who's gonna get them the the seven to ten goals before Christmas to just get them out of there and 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 get them looking up rather than down. So it's it's still worrying times for Doncaster, but you know they, they didn't get beat last night, so I suppose that's something. Like I say against Crew, they would have 
not been expecting three points, but they would have definitely been touting that one as a the free, you know, a bit of an early relegation six pointer, and would have been hoping to get three points, but it wasn't to be. Yeah, it wasn't to be four Rovers. I'm hoping to pick up some points this weekend as they try and out of the bottom three. That's all for our look back on the uh, on the local football this week. Lots of action, lots of breaking news. I'm sure there'll be more news across the week to look back on on next week's show. And coming up after the break, it's all about managerial changes. Emery decides he doesn't want to go to Newcastle, doesn't want to swap VRAL for St James's Park, and Nuno goes much to the um, to the. Not surprised of yourself who predicted that one. We'll come on to that in the next part of the show. But Nuno leaves Tottenham and is replaced by the infamous Antonio Conte. On 102.4 FM, across Rotherham, online, on your mobile and on your smart speaker. This is Red Road FM. Welcome back to the second part of this week's show. It's now time to talk about the managerial changes that I've gone on this week. And the big change is at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as Antonio Conte replaces Nuno Espirito Santo as the Tottenham manager. I said before the break, it wasn't to the surprise of yourself. As you called it on Saturday, you text me Saturday night saying, that's it, he's done, he will go. Um, I disagreed. I thought he might have got a little bit longer. However, I didn't know that they got Conte lined up uh, behind the scenes. And I suppose if you've got a born winner like Conte lined up and things aren't going right for, for, for Nuno, someone that was a bit of a gamble, it's a real no-brainer to bring in Conte, isn't it? Here it is. It's, it's, a, it's a name. Do I see it fitting? Not really. Um, there's nothing down to Conte. I just think the Spurs squad's that poor. Obviously, he's been apparently being said he can have 150 million in January. Um, I bet no one else thinking where with that because I won't promise that. But obviously, that's that's the, the sort of stuff you've got to do to draw these these big managers in. Like you said, there I text you, text you when the second goal went in, and then when he took Lucas Moore off, the fans turned. I text you again then, and then when the third goal went in, it just put the final nail in the coffin for me. Um, it, it's one of them kind of something to Sheffield United in a way. He's it, it, done a good job elsewhere, but is he the right man for Tottenham? And and was it going to fit with those certain players? And it just wasn't whether he commanded the respect of the players or not. That's another question. Or he's not being able to find form in Harry Kane either. Or Harry Kane's not being able to find form under him. Uh, so for me, it was never going to work to get Antonio Conte in. Premier League winner, Serie A winner. Um, done very well with the Italian national team as well. I think Spurs have done fantastically well to get him. You know, and It's an 18-month contract, which I thought was interesting because he doesn't necessarily spend... No ages in a job. You look at the Chelsea job. He won the league, and the season after he was gone, uh, Inter won the league and then went um, due to contract dispute. So that I thought that was an interesting factor. Do I see him winning a trophy in that eighteen months? No, I don't. But I, I do think it's a good appointment. But just I just think the Spurs squad's a million miles away at the minute of winning anything. Yeah, I think Paul Oaksby and, and Andy Jacobs on Talksport said that one of them's a Tottenham fan. I think it's Paul Oaksby, isn't it? I think they said that Conte will come in, he'll win something at Tottenham, whether it be a Europa Conference League or whatever, and then he'll be gone in two years' time because that's what happens with Conte. He seems to fall out with everybody and then oust it everywhere all over the media that he's fell out with them. Um, and I don't think Daniel Levy will take too kindly if he falls out with him to go and uh, put it all over the media. Um so you kind of look at it and you think, will he give him the money? Like you say, he's been promised it's 150, 100 million pound in, in, in January. If he doesn't give him it, it's going to cause a kickoff, isn't it? Um, but he is a winner and he did a really good job at Inter Milan, did a really good job at Chelsea in the short period of time he was there. 
and has won trophies. Um, so he's a winner. But like you say, is this Tottenham team ready-made to go and win trophies? I can't see them winning anything other than the Europa Conference League this year. I really can't. And I think Nuno, you know, he, he had a pretty good start, didn't he? But then it's it tailed off after that. And um, they beat Villa, they beat Newcastle back to back. But then they went and lost to West Ham. Um, and then, you know, you lose to Man United that were in terrible form. And like you say, the writing maybe was on the wall. And you said, didn't you yourself, the fans turn. And when the fans turn, you know, you, you haven't got much time left. And it was probably um, a bit of apt timing that he turned around and asked Conte if he fancies it. And, and this time he doesn't. I think he said that it was because he wasn't mentally right after the um, after leaving Inter when it got offered to him in the summer. Whether you believe that or not, I don't know. I think Spurs are maybe panicking and have said, you can come and you can have your demands, you can have your money, you can have the money you want to spend. But it's got to come and get the best out of Harry Kane, hasn't it? And, you know, Kane at the minute doesn't want to be there by the looks of things. Really doesn't want to be there. And the big question is at the minute, if he doesn't want to be there, Harry Kane, would you drop him? Do you, do you just not play him if he doesn't want to be there? I don't know, because they've got no replacement, have they? And if he's been playing how he has done, uh, he shouldn't even be in the team at the minute because he's been nothing short of a disgrace, has he? You know, if, if he gets away with it because he's got this squeaky clean reputation, if, if a Paul Pogba played how he has been doing, I think he is absolutely obliterated for it. Um, but, you know, I think apparently he's excited by the um, the appointment of Conte. Again, it wouldn't surprise me if Spurs went on a good run under Conte because he'll have that, new, you know, he's got that, you know, he is a name. I think it'll just show the fact that, one, Nuno wasn't right for the job, but two, that Tottenham players have completely given up on, on Nuno completely, including Harry Kane in that. Um you know, Conte's got goals out of big players before. You know, Diego Costa, you know, Diego Costa and Lukaku in Milan. They're not similar players to Kane, but they, you know, they're 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 out and out number nine. So he's proven he can do it before in the past. So I'm sure that they'll be giving Harry Kane time to to get in with Conte, and, and I'm sure he'll get back to a goal scoring ways pretty soon. Yeah, you think he'd start a player to give him some chances or create chances, wouldn't you? Is he renowned Conte? I might be wrong here. Could be renowned for playing five at the back, three five two. Three and a half. Yeah, five at the back. Like he played three, four, three, didn't he? At Inter Milan with Moses yeah. wing back and and what have you. So yeah, yeah. was it De Vrij, Skriniar, and another one wasn't it? The back at um, Inter wasn't it? And De Vrij, were it? Yeah, De Vrij. Uh, yeah, De Vrij, uh, Skriniar, and another one wasn't there at centre half there. And then I think he had it at Chelsea where he brought Victor Moses in from from um, from nowhere, didn't he? To come and play at right wing back and had a bit of a run in the under under Conte as well. So. Um, maybe a, a bit of a research for Matt Doherty you never know his old gaffer didn't seem to play him in Nuno he might get back in now mm-hmm. as a right wing back or on the right hand side I'm sure other players will be hoping for a fresh start maybe someone like Dele Alli might be hoping that he gets his career back going as well under uh, Antonio Conte I think one thing for certain is he, he doesn't take he doesn't take any rubbish does he Conte I think when I think it was Lautaro Martinez called him out, didn't he? And, and had a bit of a go at him at Inter. And Lukaku messed about setting the boxing match up between Conte and Martinez, didn't he, in the, uh, in the training ground. So he doesn't seem to take any stick, uh, Conte. And I'm sure Spurs fans will hope he'll turn that one around there. And speaking of turning things around, Newcastle need to act quick and get a manager in, don't they? Because they could soon be finding themselves in trouble. Um, I heard um, John Beresford saying on TalkSport this week that um, the atmosphere and the performance, um, the, sorry, the performance the weekend against Chelsea was disgraceful. It was terrible. And he's surprised they didn't turn on the players, the fans. And, um, you know, Bruce has gone, but the performances are still terrible. They've got to get somebody in. And 
Unai Emery was looked like he was going to be the man. Um, he's now turned it down, said, he, you know, his home is Villarreal and he's going to stay there. Said that the board at Newcastle didn't show enough ambition, which is a, a bit of a strange one for me. Um, there's going to be plenty of money there, isn't there? But you never know how much they're going to get to spend from that. Looking at the decision, do you think Emery is someone they missed out on or do you think he'd have been a bit of a strange fit at, at Newcastle? Because I'm not quite sure on that one, me. No, it, the name doesn't, you know, when you're thinking about all these names they're going to get linked with and yes, they probably do need a bit of a stopgap manager. Um, you know, Emery wasn't, I thought, I, I thought it was, it's all right. It, it's nothing overly special. Um, like I just said there, I think the, the, the Newcastle side are in real, real trouble. Um, we, we found out on you know playing football manager with the Newcastle team how, how poor they are and how much dead wood they've got there and, and you see in real life they, they're a really poor team obviously Steve Bruce, uh, Steve, Brun, Steve Bruce was taking the brunt of that but now like I said the, the players have got to take the blame I think there's a lot of players hiding there and uh, a lot of nastiness there that I didn't really like with the players and not, not playing for Steve Bruce and they're just not good enough they, like I say Emery decided not to come in probably looks at it and think if I don't get this right, I could be relegated to the, to the championship and, and, and they could be, um, which sounds a daft thing to say, but they really, really could be. I know the name's getting thrown about now. Eddie Howe seems to be the clear favourite. I know we've got differing views on that. I think, personally think that would be a, an OK appointment for now uh, in terms of you know years to come, maybe not. But I think for now that would be an, an OK appointment and to get a couple in in January. But you know the, they need to start picking points up in the meantime. I think there was on TalkSport again the other day that there's 10 matches between now and and, and January, that's a lot of points that Newcastle could be adrift come January. So, you know, if you're down there come January, it, it might not look as as a nice, I know the, the, the check might look nice, but to, to certain players going down there and, and being a, in a relegation fight might not appeal to certain players either. So whoever comes in, they need to get sold quick and, and they need to get points on the board and, and be looking like a team that's going to get clear of the relegation zone. Yeah, I'm just not sure on Eddie Howe because I just don't think he's the man to go and pull together a big club like Newcastle and get them out of the mess. He's been down at Bournemouth, very different down at Bournemouth to up at, up at Newcastle. Um, I just I just don't see him being a good fit. I don't know why. He doesn't work well with big names and big egos, apparently. But if you're going to spend some money, you're going to bring some big egos in, so you're going to have to manage them. And the other issue as well is if you're adrift in January and you're down in the bottom three, the players that you end up attracting and bringing in are not going to be the ones that you're probably going to want going forward either. So there'll be a big revolving door, won't there, at Newcastle? They could bring in players like a Tarkovsky and, and so on, but and a James Ward-Prowse that might be down there, but some other players that, you know, that are a Calvert-Lewin, for instance, or so on, they might say, I'm not going to Newcastle that are sat in the bottom three for 20 grand a week more because they could be in the Championship next year. So the players they end up bringing in, they may not be the players they want to go forward the year after and it all become a big mess. So they've got to really make sure they pull themselves away. And like I say, it's a big few big few weeks for them before Christmas to try and get clear. And, and they've got to get somebody in, haven't they? Whether it's, you know, let Graham Jones take the weekend. I know they wanted somebody in before the weekend, but, you know, the chances of that are pretty slim now. They might let him take the weekend and then just say, after the international break, someone's coming in and they've got to make the decision pretty quickly and get it sorted. The Fonseca rumours seem to have gone quiet now. Emery doesn't want the job, so maybe not as an attractive. Keith Downey's just Keith Downey put on Twitter that a Fonseca would be interested in re re reigniting talks with Newcastle, though, so that could maybe be one. Yeah, they may go for him now. I just think he's a pretty similar you and Emery kind of shout for me. Um if you're gonna go for a stop gap, I saw Roy Hodgson mentioned, and I think we spoke about that on the show and said maybe not the best appointment, but if you can't get anybody in, give it somebody like Hodgson just to keep them up. 
and then say thank you very much, Roy. Off you go back into retirement, and we're going to bring somebody else in and start afresh in the summer. But interesting times at Newcastle now, and I'm sure they'll be able to get that get the manager in and get themselves away from that bottom three because it's a place that loves the football up in Newcastle. They they, they live, eat, and breathe it, and they, they don't want the club dropping back in the Championship after such good news. So uh, they'll be uh, they'll be intrigued to see what's going on. It'll be a, a good watch, I'm sure, to find out what goes on over at Newcastle in the coming weeks. That's all for the second part of the show. In the final part of the show, we will talk about the Cricket World Cup as England continue their march towards the semi-finals. On 102.4 FM, across Rotherham, online, on your mobile and on your smart speaker, this is Red Road FM. Welcome back to the final part of this week's show. It's now time for our look at the T20 World Cup and England are on the march towards the semi-finals. When we spoke on last week's show, they recorded their first two wins of the tournament, wins over the West Indies and Bangladesh. They were pretty convincing and England had the stern test of Australia to come, which they had on Saturday and then the uh, the clash against Sri Lanka um, as well on Monday and they passed both tests with flying colours. Um, England managing to uh, restrict Australia to 125 for t- uh, all out. Sorry, not for 10, I was going to say then, all out. 125 all out. Um, you look across the board and, you know, good performances again by all the bowlers, Chris Jordan in particular, <coughs> uh, three wickets for, for 17 from his four overs. Adol Rashid tight again, so was Liam Livingston and, uh, and so was Chris Wokes. In that one, Tamar Mills uh, went for a little bit of tap and it's a real disappointing news now for those that don't know that Tamar Mills is out of the rest of the tournament with a thigh strain. He's had so much bad luck over the years, Tamar Mills, with the back injuries that ended his England test hopes and his, and his one-day cricket hopes. He's become a bit of a T20 specialist, done really well in the team uh, so far in the first four games and, uh, and gutting for him now that he'll be out of the rest of the tournament. But... I'm sure he'll stay with the boys and if they can get the job done, he's more than played his part in the tournament. Um, onto the batting and, and the batting was really dominating. The batting has been dominated the last few days by one man and that is Josh Butler, 71 of 32 at the weekend to, you know, as he smashed Australia all over um, to win that one easily and send a real message into the Australian camp. And then you go to Monday and England play against the against Sri Lanka in Sharjah, which is which for those that don't know, the, the ground at Sraja, the, the pitch is very flat. There's not much bounce on the pitch either. So some of England's players like Jason Roy, like David Milan, like to play the ball on the bounce with a good bounce, quick coming onto the bat um, with, a, with a good bounce off the wicket. The pitch was a little slower and, and flatter, didn't uh, get up as much. And England got off to a bit of a poor start. They were put into bat, which England don't really like to do. They prefer to chase, put into bat. Jason Roy going early, Darren Milan also going early. And then Johnny Bairstow first ball um, to the impressive Hasaranga. And then Owen Morgan and Josh Butler put on a real you know, clinic of how to bat T20 cricket. They found out the pitch, gave themselves... You know, time to get in and from 10 overs onwards, um, put the foot down. Josh Butler caps it with probably one of the greatest T20 knocks you'll see in a long time in terms of the conditions uh, and where England was at. 101 off of uh, 67 balls, six balls, six sixes and gets a six off the final ball as England win the game. And they're looking in really good fettle, aren't they, England at the minute? Yeah, they are. I think, you know, a lot of people saying it's us and, us and uh, Pakistan that are looking very good. Um, obviously the, the game on Saturday against the Aussies didn't I've seen the highlights after but obviously I didn't see the game we've been at the football um, and then the uh, the game the other day against Sri Lankans I've got it on the on, on the way home on, on, on talk sport um, you know then heard about obviously Butler needing needing a six off the last ball to get his 100 which he did 
Um, for me again, I think that's what I'm saying. Maybe we said it after the game, walking off, probably puts himself up there with the greatest white ball batsman that you know, we, we've ever had. And uh, obviously, the, there's a lot of names to throw in there, but I think Butler obviously gets his um, maybe his critics in the, in the test team. But I think in, you know, in the white ball game, you, you know, you can't dispute that he is he is one of the greatest. You know, if not now, if if not ever, sorry. Um, you know, so a, a great, great knock, and like I said, I think um, the Sri Lankans bowled apparently bowled really well, and and um, I forgot what the talk sport guy is or for, for cricket, I forgot his name, but he said that they just started bowling balls that they shouldn't do. You know, they almost bowled Owen Morgan back into form. Um, again, knowing Morgan's captaincy, like I think that's what I'm saying, he, he really loves Owen Morgan, doesn't he? He talks about um, you know Owen Morgan, the player is very good, but then Owen Morgan, the captain. He is the best in the world. Um, you know, being that captain and look at his fielding positions the other night, watching England ball. It seems to be wherever the Sri Lankans hit it, there was a, there was an England fielder. Um, great catch, by the way, from Jason Roy down on the boundary when he when he sort of chucked it to uh, Billings, the Milan one as well. It must have been a breath away from from going over the boundary rope. So good fielding from England, good batting. Um, you know, maybe not the best bowling display we've had at the tournament, but you know, we'll, we'll take that. Um, when when the batsman can help the bowlers out, and when the batters don't perform, the bowlers can help us out. So yeah, I think we'll, we look really, really good at the minute. And like I say, it, it does only take an off day in the semi-final, but I think we are looking very, very good to to go all the way and hopefully sort of ride the wrong of, of the last tournament. And I think it'd be a great way for I don't know if he would retire or in Morgan, but I know he's on about after the fifty overs. But if he if he was to win the fifty over and and World T20 sort of back to back, that'll be you know it just it just you know cap his captaincy off and, and cement him as a, a great England uh, one day captain. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, his captaincy is fantastic. He's the best in the world, and um, if we do win it, like I say, he'll be a big part of that. Um, the, the issue they're now going to have is. I think going forward, they've got to look at it and think, do they try and balance the side now? Is Milan enough? Does he give enough value in the team? I know he's the best batsman in the world, T20-wise, but not in these conditions. So do they balance it and bring David William for him and move everybody up the order one, maybe, and gives him another bowling option? And then, you know, the decision now of tomorrow Mills being out, does that mean that Mark Wood comes straight in for him? Um, or do they keep Milan in the team and just bring Willie in for... for um, for Tamar Mills, it's decision to, to make now for England, the first kind of hurdle that they've had to, to jump over so far in uh, in this World Cup. But I'm sure, you know, England will, will be thinking, you know, can they can they get through that and um and, and make the correct call and, and carry on, you know, in this tournament and carry on doing as well as they have been because they've you know they've been fantastic so far in the tournament. They've been great to watch and I'm sure they'll be thinking about adding the um adding the T twenty World Cup to the one day World Cup and then all the perfect thing would be is to, to, to go and win the Ashes in the summer, which will be a, a much more difficult uh, task, um, at the, you know, in this summer. And, and obviously we'll, we'll have plenty of previews on the Ashes as that comes around and when that comes around. But um, a fantastic start at the minute for England over in the T20 World Cup. And, and I suppose a big surprising thing from the World Cup at the minute is it's been the struggle of India, hasn't it? And I know India have beaten Afghanistan today, but it looks like India are probably going to go out, which is a massive boost to England, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, I don't know how the group's looking now, but it looked like we'll be playing Afghanistan if we top the group. Um, I know it was the other day. Um, I don't know if it's still looking like that at the minute. Um, obviously, like I just said there, India just beat Afghanistan. Yeah, Afghanistan is still second. It, uh, New Zealand have beat... Um, who have they beat this afternoon? Scotland. Scotland, so that keeps them alive. So it could be New Zealand in the final as well, maybe with the defeat 
Afghanistan's defeat there that it could mean uh, New Zealand in the semi final, which will be a tricky game. But yeah, India really struggled. You know, I think they were again. You know, the, there's the thing about the tests, the, the the last test of you know ending it, so they could go to the IPL and and play themselves in form, so they could um, you know get ready for this. But then you know, the, apparently again, too many players sort of pick from and too many batters, and the balance of the side just hasn't been right, and, and it's just not worked for them. And it would be a it would be a surprise as an early exit. Obviously, was it was it meant to be in India the tournament? Uh, the tournament was meant to be in India. After, it was meant to be in Australia initially. Then it was moved to India, and then moved yeah. to um, the UAE. Like because the IPL was moved to UAE as well, wasn't it? So yeah, also the Indian fans that they uh, must have loved their cricket. So it would be a, you know, probably be the equivalent of England not getting through to the European Championship all them years ago. Be sort of that state of shock over in over in India because you know that is their number one sport and. They, they admire Kohli like a god, and it's it just not worked out for him. And I'm not going to say I'm um, feeling too sorry for him and, and, and Virat, but it is what it is. And any, anything that makes it a bit of an easier pass for England will do me. But if it is to be New Zealand, that will be a very, very difficult game. Yeah, it's an interesting group, the group two, because um, Afghanistan have played four games, they've got one game left. Afghanistan's final game is against New Zealand. Um, New Zealand have got Namibia next. If New Zealand beat Namibia, uh, they will move um, on to six points, so they'll move above Afghanistan, having played the same amount of games. India have got... Uh, a bit of a shootout, then. Yeah, it's going to be a bit of a shootout between those two. I think if New Zealand... Would, you'd favour New Zealand to beat Namibia and beat Afghanistan. If they do, they qualify, I think, pretty much. I think that's why India are in such a, a perilous position. They've got to hope that New Zealand don't beat Namibia, I think, um, because, obviously, if New Zealand lose to Afghanistan, Afghanistan get extra points as well, so... It's a it's a real real mess that India in at the minute, and all this comes at the point of Raul Dravid as their new head coach at India after this T20 World Cup, and then Raul Dravid was called the Wall. Um, that was his nickname when he was a batsman for India, fabulous batsman, and he will make them better in in the Test format. So he'll take over from Ravi Shastri after the World Cup, uh, but India in a in a real difficult position at the minute, and he'd probably favour New Zealand to join Pakistan um, through that half of the group, and who knows it could be an England Pakistan uh, final in the uh, T20 World Cup. But that's our look back on the T20 World Cup continues across and finishes a week on Sunday. So we'll be across that one uh, as we hope that England will reach the final. Sadly, that's all we've got time for on this week's show. We've had lots of uh, stuff to get across with the uh, the sackings of uh, of Nuno the, and, uh, and the sacking, obviously, of Marcus Schrock as well, the appointment of Conte at Tottenham. Um, there's been lots of lots of news, lots of action from our local teams. I'm sure there'll be much more as the FA Cup rolls into town this weekend for uh, Doncaster Rovers, the Millers and Sheffield Wednesday. So uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you. <laughs>